Hi, my name is Tim, and you're listening to Dow Talks. In every episode, I sit down with my Web3 leading guests and demystify decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, and share the builder's stories and discover how we can better use DAOs and hopefully improve the world we live in. Today, I'm talking to Eric Mack. Eric is a passionate journalist and has written for Forbes, CNET, and many others, covering space, science, technology, environment, and politics. Eric is also a co-founder of JournalDAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, DAO, seeking to improve journalism with Web3 magic. Coincidentally, our interview ended up being on the same day Elon Musk walked into the Twitter office and tweeted, the bird is free. For me as a podcast host, this timing with Eric as a guest could not have been any better. So guess what? We'll be talking about journalism and media and how Elon could make Twitter better or not. Let's jump into it. Good morning, Eric. How are you? I'm doing good, Tim. Thanks for reaching out and making a connection. Where are you right now? I am in Taos, New Mexico. I'm actually about 15 miles outside of Taos, off the grid in my home here. Very good. Very good. Listen, super excited to talk to you today. I have to say, you know, lucky, lucky, the maybe best person for me to interview today, the day Elon Musk walks into the Twitter office and tweets, the bird is free. Is the bird free? I have so many thoughts about this. So I cover Elon pretty extensively and have for years because a lot of the journalism I do is actually I cover space pretty thoroughly. And I covered SpaceX in detail for the last like five or six years. So I'm pretty familiar with him through that part of his career. And yeah, I definitely think it's kind of a, a wait and see sort of thing. I know there's a lot of people that are freaking out. I've talked to people inside Twitter and, you know, uh, fanatical Twitter users. And there's definitely, I would say the majority of sentiment is one of concern <laughs> of him taking over. Maybe that says something about the circles that I run in. My take is I don't know that it could get much worse. <laughs> so I'm kind of interested to see, you know, what he's able to to do in, in terms of, of transforming things and, and the things that he said about his vision for the platform sounds like an improvement to me. That said, he's he's a guy that does not always deliver on everything that he promises. So uh, yeah, we'll see. So when I think about you know what's happening with Twitter and Musk, which is a great starting point to think about what's happening with journalism and media in general, right? Not being a journalist, there's two things that come into my head, right? One is the the business model behind Twitter, right? Like depending on advertising, depending on data and, you know, the question mark of not just what Musk might want or not do with it, right? And this is, you know, something, you know, worth talking about, I guess. And the other one obviously goes not to the business model, in my opinion, but you likely you know, have your own opinion, is Musk going to turn around tomorrow and reactivate Trump's Twitter account? And you know, how should that system actually work and who should take this decision? And how do these two things go together with the idea of DAOs and journalism and media, which is something I know that you've been very, very passionate about. 
Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned the business model because I, you know, I kind of ultimately think if you drill down to it, it's the business model is, is going to make Twitter less than ideal, no matter who's in charge. And in fact, the same goes for all of all of media, which is, you know, kind of how I got into Web3 and, and why JournoDAO is, is interested in the, the potential of Web3. With Twitter in particular, I think there's, you know, a few options. Like I said, I don't know that it could get much worse. And if it does get worse, well, then maybe it, it drives more people to look a little deeper into Web3. And going back to the idea of running our information off of protocols rather than off of platforms that are controlled by you know companies. So like at, at JournalDAO, we're particularly interested in, in the idea of delivering control of our media and how we consume information back to something that is more community-based and community-adjudicated versus corporately adjudicated. I hope that makes some sense. When you said, you know, uh, it can get much worse, you know, looking at Twitter. So, you know, it's going to be hard for Elon to really screw it up. What's going wrong at Twitter, you know, as an example for, you know, other media outlets? And so what do you see as the core problem? What are the symptoms and what is the underlying problem of it? Well, I think it gets back to the business models that you're talking about in which, you know, to drive to drive revenue that's dependent on driving attention and keeping people engaged with the platform and, and keeping as many eyeballs scrolling and, and clicking and tweeting as possible, as I think everyone's well aware now. That's basically how the algorithm works is it, it does whatever it can to keep you glued to the platform and engaging with it as much as possible. And what seems to be most effective is to serve you content that taps into our most base and perhaps undesirable aspects of human nature, tweets that are going to, to stir up anger and all, all kinds of emotions that lead to, you know, kind of the, the dumpster fire of a dialogue that tends to be, shall we say, less than civil on, on Twitter and other social media platforms. I don't know how many times I've had the experience of running into somebody that I, I know in real life and running into them in person and finding it a little awkward because they've just tweeted something or, or shared something on another platform in a way that they would never say to my face. And so we have you know a very civil conversation IRL, but then if you go onto these, these social platforms, the same two people can be, you know, really going at each other in, in a in a more angry and heightened way that I just don't think is healthy for the discourse or for for civil life at all. So how should it work? That's a good question. I think we're experimenting with with ways in Web3 early on to figure out a, you know, a way to build a better mousetrap. I mean, if you go back to the early days of these social platforms, like it wasn't like this. And, uh, you know, you truly in the early days of Twitter, you had just like people sharing kind of cute photos. And, you know, it was a little bit more same and, and same with Instagram. Instagram still kind of like this, where it's just kind of like little vignettes and slices of life and interesting communities. And, you know, there, there are social researchers out there like Jonathan Haidt that I, I kind of subscribe, subscribe to their diagnosis of the problem, which is that, you know, what happens is over time, kind of the worst actors on these platforms kind of realize how and maybe subconsciously how these algorithms work and how people on these platforms that are the loudest and the most antisocial tend to get the most attention, the most likes, the most retweets. So the more controversial and the more out there and 
frankly, the more disagreeable <laughs> you are, that behavior is reinforced by these platforms and the algorithms. And eventually, the more sane, reasonable people, myself included, just kind of give up on it and be like, I don't want to be part of this toxic dialogue. And so you get kind of the like reasonable people leaving the platform and the people that are willing to be a little more, more toxic are constantly reinforced. They stay around and are, are constantly having to one-up each other and top each other. And that's how you get into these spaces on Twitter where it's just all aggression and all kind of toxicity. That's not my theory, but it seems to ring true to me. To bring, maybe bring it home to a, a personal experience that I think we've all had. You've all had the experience of, yeah, maybe you go and you know, you've got your friends on Twitter that you're friendly with, and they tweet a story that's interesting and that maybe you agree with and you find interesting and you maybe you retweet that and you know give it a thumbs up. And that whole interaction is, I don't know, you spent maybe what, a couple of minutes on Twitter for that interaction. But I'm sure we've had the opposite experience of that, where somebody we know or we don't know posts something on Twitter that we really disagree with and we think is like crazy or out outlandish. And then suddenly, you know, you're going back and forth with, with this person and other people are drawn into the conversation and you're arguing back and forth. And now you're like doing research and you're bringing in other points to back up your, your perspective. And, you know, you, you go down this rabbit hole and before you know it, you spent hours, you know, arguing with a total stranger on, on Twitter and you've wasted an evening and you have nothing to show for it except Twitter there's a lot to show for it in terms of uh, you know engagement and uh, revenue that they've just collected from from those eyeballs. So that basically, I think, is is how it works. Where Journo Dow and, and kind of our mission comes into this is you know we're we're kind of beginning to think that some of these things, and I, I think a lot of our systems, you know, they they begin to break down at scale. And uh, you know, we live in a society where you know success is all about scaling. Like you. Uh, you have a startup and the goal is always to scale it, right? To make it as big as possible. And, and that's great if the goal is, is just to, you know, to drive revenue and drive eyeballs and you know, to meet your KPIs and all that sort of stuff. But what doesn't really work at scale is quality journalism and, and seeking the truth. Like Those things don't give a crap about, about scale. And in fact, scaling up a media platform works against that because the incentives in, in journalism and in media now tend to be about speed and quantity. You want as much content as you can get out there as, as quick as you can. And again, not really beneficial to, to quality journalism and to seeking the truth. So you know, part of our mission is to, to kind of try to bring things back to a local level where it's, it's totally been lost, particularly in journalism. A lot, of, a lot of small newspapers and outlets have shut down over the last 20 years. And so we're interested in kind of building back up from the, the grassroots at the local levels and using Web3 to see if we can do that. Is there a way of fixing this problem or is there no way of fixing this problem like i'm looking at this and go like yeah well if you know some people want to be disagreeable and other people get engaged by people being disagreeable and you know somebody makes money with that sounds like a system that is very very powerful non-beneficial to anything as you put it you know spend a few hours on twitter arguing with a total stranger <laughs> is there a fix to this problem in general or is there no fix so my theory 
is is that part of the reason this this dialogue and this discourse that we now have largely on social platforms like Twitter, the reason it's become so toxic is that it tends to revolve mostly around like national issues, national politics, right? And I think that part of the reason that we're we're so caught up in national politics more than than in the past is because the local local journalists like don't really exist anymore in a lot of in a lot of smaller towns and even even larger towns since the turn of the century well over a thousand newspapers in the United States alone have have shut down so there's just fewer journalists covering local issues there's fewer people going to the city council meetings going to school board meetings and going to all to covering all of these communities where there's actual important things going on that like affect people's daily lives probably much more so than the conversation the in the national press that drives a lot of that that toxic dialogue and you know you find I, you know, I've, I've covered stuff on a local level and on a national and international level you know and you find local politics is by necessity way more civil than national and international politics because on the local level you got to see these people every day you, and you got to work with people to get things done, you know, that affect your local school, affect your kids. And you've got to like, you know, work out, you know, where to site the new landfill and, and all this stuff. So like just kind of by the nature of it, you know, local politics and local issues are a lot more civil. People have retreated from local civic life because the media has had to retreat from local civic life. That's not the only reason. There's a lot going on there. And and so kind of our our theory is to to build back up like local civic life and and to do so first by having a local source of information a local newspaper maybe it's a local web3 newspaper to begin to build back up that that you know local sense of involvement because now we're all just sitting at home on twitter like arguing about national politics that we honestly can't really affect that much and it affects us less than the local stuff so that's you know, and, that, and that's kind of a, a far-sighted vision of, of of how we can help. And it's just it's just a theory, but uh, you know, I've kind of seen this happen over the last twenty years, starting as a local journalist, and you see the dialogue become more toxic in, in a way that that it wasn't before. And so, those are just my observations. Why do these local topics, these local politics, not work on Twitter? Why there's no space on the existing media with the existing incentive programs and so on to have this discussion on Twitter? Why do you think there has to be a fundamental change in structure and incentive for this to work? Why can't it work for the small extent? What has to change exactly for this to work? What's the trick here? Twitter and, and Facebook and other social platforms, they are trying to fill like the local news void that I'm describing. And that's actually part of the problem. So to, to back up a little bit, when when we first when the web one era, so we're back in like the 19 late 1990s right now, when everything first started to migrate online and moving into the, the early 2000s, you know, a lot of uh, news outlets didn't do a great job of, of keeping up with the change in technology. And, and in particular, one one website in particular is probably more responsible than any other for the shuttering of those more than a thousand newspapers across the US that I mentioned earlier. You want you want to take a guess at what what website played the largest role in killing those newspapers? Give it to me. Craigslist. Wow. And that, yeah. And that, that's simply that like uh, when Craigslist went live and, and started to gain traction, suddenly there was a place to post your your classified ads and your for sale ads 
for free. And, and you could get a, a much larger audience than you could get from your, your local newspapers. And so Craigslist, I'm sure by no, no sense of malice from Craig Newmark, basically took away a very key source of revenue for all kinds of newspapers. And so that was kind of the first domino. And then what has happened over the ensuing two decades as you know, the business model has really collapsed for, for smaller local newspapers. And I mean, even large papers like my hometown of Denver used to have two very strong newspapers. And you know, one of them, Rocky Mountain News, closed and the other one is, is, is shrunk considerably. So, but in smaller communities where there's now no news outlet, what has filled the void is you know, things like where I am, it's actually Facebook more than than Twitter. And so just to give you a local example, you know, we had the largest wildfire in the in North America outside of Alaska where they just kind of let them burn. The largest in the lower 48 was burning down the road here earlier this summer and it was in a community that was definitely considered a news desert, you know, has no local radio or or newspapers. And so the source of information to try to figure out where to go on is you know, people go on posting on Facebook and it was it was a mess. You know, there were people being you know sent to you know the wrong evacuation center. There was all kinds of inaccurate information and just kind of it's basically just you know gossip being shared about where the fire is and you know where to go and you know what are what are people supposed to do to you know react to this natural disaster. And so so that is that is the problem there is that's why Twitter and social media can't fill this void because that's the role that journalists have traditionally, played is to to go into a situation and to kind of figure out what the the information is on the ground but to go through a journalistic process of, of vetting that information and corroborating it and trying to figure out what the truth is versus without without that professionalism you know we just have people like it's a game of telephone and like you know whatever somebody heard from their uncle that's what gets posted onto facebook and so, you know, we would have these these evening wildfire briefings with law enforcement and with the forest managers here while these wildfires were going on. And every night the sheriff would say, please don't believe what's on Facebook. Please stop, you know, posting gossip on Facebook, you know, go through official sources. So, again, like because of the business model basically collapsing and these local news sources collapsing, like what we're left with to rely on is social media and it can't do the job. And so so that's why we're interested in in seeing if web3 might be able to provide a new or a hybrid business model to help build back up those local news outlets. So what would that look like? How would it work? So I mean those you know those are experiments to be run that we're looking into and and hoping to run some experiments over the the coming years but you know we're drawing inspiration from things like just over the last couple of years seeing you know in particular artists you know using tools like uh, like NFTs and and other communities using you know tools like ERC20 tokens we're particularly interested in in NFTs and and the ability that artists now have to basically you know tap into you know their fan base and to you know build a community of their their fans and consumers of their work and then to you know actually have that community directly support them you know without you know kind of the 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 middle managers you know the agents galleries whatever that would you know 
actually kind of be controlling the show and, and running things. And, you know, for the last year or two, we've kind of been watching this and seeing artists and other creators have a lot of success and saying, you know, there's absolutely no reason that journalists can't be doing the exact same thing. We've gone to a couple of news conferences, conferences of journalists over the past few months to try to make this case. And there's a lot of skepticism about uh, crypto and blockchain and Web3 for good reason. But we're trying to say, like, all those concerns about this technology, they're valid, but the potential is also really valid to use this technology to create and control value in, in new ways and, and to build up new business models. We hope it's, it's early days. We've seen success in other sectors and we're hoping maybe we can port that over to journalism. Do you see this model moving, as you put it, more to the creator economy, like more of like independent journalists, you know, making a living, providing valuable information, news? Or do you see it rather as something where, you know, there's a larger scale model or, you know, institution, organization, foundation that provides the media outlet? Where do you see that going? I know it's very early, but what do you envision at this stage? I mean, you know, the the independent journalists using this, I, I mean, we've, we've already kind of seen that. And I think that is the most logical place for it to begin. And, and we're, we're beginning to start up some decentralized reporting projects of our own to see if we can, you know, kind of take the model that we've already seen people have success with using, using things like, you know, there's the non-Web3 Substack model that's succeeded for a lot of journalists. And we're beginning to see, you know, with with tools like a mirror in Web3, people try to replicate that success in the in the Web3 world. And so, you know, we're interested in seeing if like, okay, this this obviously works, at least for like individual creators. Could we like expand upon it to have like more of a collective? or a group, a newsroom, like have to have a similar success while also, you know, tapping into a lot of the capabilities that Web3 gives you to collaborate as well. And, you know, I, I had the experience of, if you're familiar with Ankless DAO, that was kind of how I, one of, one of my first DAO experiences and going in there about a year ago and just, you know, kind of, it, it's a, it's a kind of vast sprawling organization with all kinds of projects and initiatives going on around this common goal of helping the world become more bankless. And there's people from all over the world, all skill sets. And I just remember kind of, you know, getting to know people there and getting familiar with all the initiatives going on and thinking like, you know, if everyone in here was trained in journalism and these were just hundreds of people from around the world who are journalists like this DAO would actually be one of the more powerful wire services like I've ever seen like it would be able to compete with the AP and I still think that is that's a valid model and that's kind of like we're beginning to see if that initial intuition holds with with our decentralized reporting projects and so yeah that that's kind of where we're taking it and then if that works then I think we might have the foundation to use those tools and and those what we've learned from that and see if this works on like on a local level to begin to replace some of the news coverage that's been lost in local communities. You've been involved with DAOs now for a while, talking about bankless, you know, uh, as your starting point, and I've seen this well. For somebody that is you know not familiar with DAOs yet, heard you know what the idea is about, is looking at. What is the importance of DAOs in this context of journalism? What role in terms of like coordination do you see them playing? 
why is it important? So I, I, I'm particularly interested in it because I think it is it's an, a new way to you know, expand expand the ways that not only that that journalists can can collaborate and and work together and build value out of out of what they're creating but i think it's a pretty unprecedented opportunity to also bring in the the audience community that journalists cover and their their readership to also bring them into the process of 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 creating that media and and of managing you know how how things are covered and i think you know the dow model is 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 a way to deliver on the promise of citizen journalism that was never quite realized about 10 years ago everyone in media started talking about you know citizen journalism and that like everyday people could help you know could help cover their communities and it was kind of a stopgap for the the collapsing business models that we talked about earlier for local journalism and there's a little bit of that but it it it, it didn't really catch fire and so you know with web3 and with dows there's an opportunity to, you know, instead of basically like begging people to volunteer to be a citizen journalist and, you know, you get a pat on the back if you do it, you know, with DAOs and with Web3, you can really, you can formalize that through through smart contracts and through things like things like tokens for people to actually be rewarded for their contributions, whether it's through NFTs or, or tokens or, you know, having, you know, having a vote and having a say in how their, their news organization is run. And it basically just, you know, expands the idea of a newsroom from, you know, kind of a handful of people in a building making decisions about what the truth is for their community to more of an actual cooperative model. I think it was two, three interviews back, I was talking to Yeller Moon, who's also in like Media Cartel and stuff. And the discussion that we had and where, you know, where his mind was that he was asking the question, you know, why should something be a DAO and why should it not be a DAO? And he, he said, he started spending a lot of time looking at what's happening in DAOs and asked the question like, does this have to be a DAO or maybe it would be better off as a different organization? type of organization. Why do you think, or what are the key arguments to say, you know, in this looking at journalism, why DAOs would add a lot more value, make a big difference compared to traditional organizations, you know, like a company or a foundation? What do you think DAOs would make a difference or what aspect of DAOs would make a difference here? I listened to that interview, actually. I, I liked it. And uh, he's a really smart guy. And I listened to that party in particular. And so like Journo Dow, actually, right, we're not actually a Dow yet. And we're still kind of in the, the process of, you know, figuring out like what the best way to do this. And that, you know, we're, we're taking advice like what Yaller had to say pretty much to heart, a few of our people were were at MCon in Denver last month, and and took a, took a lot away from that because yeah, we don't want to we don't want to replicate. I think some of the missteps of DAOs that got too big too fast, and uh, you know there's there's considerations in terms of regulation. So yeah, we're not like totally yoloing into DAOs. I guess I guess what I would say is we, we'd like to run the experiment to see you know like what what makes sense in terms of what aspects of DAOs make sense for you know different communities and different media projects because i mean i feel like we don't really have much to lose <laughs> because like i said most people don't trust the media and somebody who who works in media the business model doesn't seem like it's getting much better like i said the the pressure 
the pressure towards producing more faster versus higher quality, like that pressure has only has only gone more, I think, in, in the wrong direction. So I don't know that Web3 is going to be a silver bullet or that DAOs are the answer. They may not be. It probably depends on on the project. And it may depend even like certain certain types of stories may, you know, certain kinds of coverage may be great for DAOs and and other types may not. But we're never going to know until we start to to run the experiments. And I kind of think that's where we're at now is figuring out. What would you recommend Elon Musk to do with Twitter? Give him three things he should do and take out like the business perspective of it, but to make a significant difference. What would be the way, in your opinion, to make something good out of Twitter? Because as you said, can't get much worse. Like, you know, some things <laughs> feel often feel too broken to me. <laughs> so, but okay, but okay, so trying to take a less cynical view, you know, finding, and I don't think this is anything he would ever do, but, you know, like finding a way to to open up you know governance of the of the platform to like more more true community governance he did so that's one thing and we have a long conversation about what that would look like and how you would how you would do that in a way that manages the incentives that it you know improves it instead of making it worse but i think you know broader community governance so that you know it's not just you know a few people in you know in a boardroom or algorithms figuring it out that's one thing he said he said at one point that he wants to open source the algorithms and i think he should be held to that that would go a long way because that is to me a big big part of the problem and it would be good to see under the hood there and if we can see under the hood then maybe we can begin to see ways to improve it for the for the public good so that's two and number three is is finding a way to share more of the the value derived from its users content and to to send it back to the users you know right now it's a pretty much a completely extractive platform I, I i do a talk at a talk at east denver where i kind of you know give an example of a story that i wrote as as a journalist where and again like i cover a lot of space and astronomy stories so you know frequently there's a lot of amateur astronomers that will go out and get you know these like remarkable shots of comets or you know fireballs in the sky and you know this requires equipment you know telescopes and cameras that cost thousands of dollars and these people amateurs go out in their backyard and they catch these beautiful images of the cosmos and they post them on twitter and share them with the world for free uh, and and I take I can take those tweets and I can embed them in a story. And so what happens there is you've got a person with real skills and really expensive equipment creating uh, you know art, these amazing amazing views of the universe, sharing them with everyone. I profit off of the off of that work as a journalist using it in my content. Twitter profits off of that. They don't profit off of it at all, except maybe you know some ego affirmation, and that just. That just there's a better way. So yeah, those are those are the three things, <laughs> and obviously the third one points towards Web three. I don't think I don't think Elon's going to do more than one of those. You've covered him for a while. You've seen what he's done in, in other spaces. Will he go do radical change, or will he just paint, you know, some of the shit over? I mean, he's not opposed to radical change. That's kind of what he's built his career on. He is opposed to relinquishing control of things. So like that makes me believe that he's he's 
probably not going to, you know, open up, you know, governance in, in a meaningful way or open up, you know, the value sharing in a meaningful way. It's interesting that he's willing to open source the algorithms. That probably goes along with, you know, some of the issues he has with with AI. You know, he's, he has an open AI initiative, so I'm, that's probably where that thinking comes from. But the other two, no, I don't. I don't see him doing it. Right. Last question. So, independent of your, you know, personal preference or taste, opinion, with Twitter under Elon Musk, should Elon or Twitter reinstate Trump's Twitter account? And under what argument or not? What should the argument here be from a journalistic perspective? So, like, I think he clearly violated the terms of service that Twitter as a company has set up for its users. I think he, like, pretty clearly violated those long before January 6th when he was finally thrown off. So, you know, just based on its own rules... He probably should have been kicked off long before that. I don't, I don't know that anyone's ever stated as much, but you know, I got the sense that Twitter was giving him a pass while he was in office because he's the president of the United States and probably the most powerful person in the world. And so there, it is in the public interest and, and there is an aligning business interest for him to be on the platform. And then January 6th rolls around and he's almost out the door and he's really gone you know, beyond the pale. And so he was finally, finally kicked off. As in question, if he you know, is, is running for for the office again in a, in a couple of years, so we're probably going to find. I mean, I'm assuming he is. Like, is it still in the public interest for for him to have a, a platform and to be you know covered? Like, he becomes a, he becomes a newsworthy person. So, from a, a news standpoint, it's probably going to be worth covering if you're a journalist. Now, is it the job of Twitter to be the host of and to be the platform for for those for what he has to say? I, I, well, apparently that's now that's now up to Elon. But my my guess would be, you know, that if his account is is reinstated, sorry about the fly. If the account is reinstated, you know, it passed his prologue. He's probably going to violate <laughs> the terms of service very quickly again. So it would be interesting to see if that happens. You know, if the same decision is made to to let him keep rolling until he pushes it too far again. Eric, it was a pleasure talking to you. It was extremely interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Tim. It was fun. DAO Talks is brought to you by Grindery. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing to DAO Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other platform you fancy. To find out more about Grindery, visit grindery.io. Thanks for joining me. Tim out.